Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's episode is brought to you by a free resource called Six Simple Steps to Clear Communication. I created this resource for marriages, but these practical, counselor-approved strategies for communication can be used in any relationship. To download this one-page communication sheet, head to rachelgilbert.com forward slash marriage. That is rachelgilbert.com forward slash marriage. If you're a lover of the Enneagram or you just want to learn more about it, you're going to love today's guest. Ian Morgan Cron is a best-selling author, psychotherapist, Enneagram teacher, priest, and the host of the popular podcast, Typology, which has over 10 million downloads. His books include the national bestseller, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, his novel, Chasing Francis, and the spiritual memoir, Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. Known for his transparency, humor, and depth of insight into the inner workings of the human heart and mind, Ian uses the Enneagram personality typing system as a tool to help leaders cultivate self-awareness and emotional wisdom. He's sought-after speaker, thinker, and advisor to a growing roster of clients, such as the Discovery Channel, Ramsey Solutions, Catalyst, Belmont University, Michael Hyatt Company, Warner Brothers Music, and many others. He just released a new course called True You, and you can go to typologyinstitute.com to be notified when the course is open for enrollment. Guys, I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation with Ian, and I know you're going to also, so let's dive right in. Well, Ian, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you, Rachel. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Hey, before we jump into all the fun stuff that we're going to talk about today, I love to ask my guests, what's a random fun fact about you that I did not read in your professional bio? Oh, was that I'm a professional songwriter in there? Um, I don't know. I'll have to go back and look. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should, I should read the bios before I ask this question, yeah, shouldn't I? I guess you should. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a Dove Award winning songwriter. Nice. That's cool. How long have you, uh, when did you start doing songwriting? Oh gosh, age 13, but pro professionally mid nineties. Okay. Do you sing? I do. That's cool. And you live in Nashville. That's really cool. See, that's a fun fact I didn't know about you and I've been following you for a long time and I read your books. So that's cool. Awesome. I love that. All right. So you are known for, you've done a lot of things, but you're known for being expert in the Enneagram. How'd you, how'd you get into that? Uh, I was in graduate school doing my degree in psychotherapy. This is back in the nineties. And I came across a copy of Richard Rohr's book, the Enneagram, a Christian perspective. And I remember thinking to myself after a year of graduate school, you know, learning abnormal psych and all the other things you learn in the first year of grad school. I remember thinking, where has this been? You know, is it perfect? Uh, is it clinically wildly deep? No, but it's incredibly useful. And uh, I had wished it was part of the curriculum. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So everybody who listens to my podcast knows I'm in grad school right now. And so that was, um, I think two semesters ago, I took a class just called assessment and all, all it was, was all the tests, Myers-Briggs and all these things, but, um, Enneagram wasn't actually included in it. And I did kind of find that interesting because Enneagram is definitely growing in popularity. And in fact, one of my practicum internship sites, I got all kinds of excited because my first day I went into the break room and there were papers all along the wall with everybody's name and like their Enneagram number, their Myers-Briggs, like all, I was like, okay, you can tell you're in a counseling office when all right. the staff has their own paper. And it was just really cool because it, it's so huge to be able to know what your coworkers are and what makes them tick. And so I definitely, I know we could talk about all kinds of things with the Enneagram today, but I definitely want to focus in on the mental health side of things since people kind of are starting to come to me for that type of a thing as well. But before we jump into that, can you just briefly share where the Enneagram came from? I mean, you mentioned you heard about it in the 90s, and I don't, I personally just now heard about it, oh, maybe a couple of years ago. I don't know. It's been a few years now. So where did it come from, and why is it just now making this big boom? Yeah, Richard Rohr actually traces it back to the Desert Fathers in the fourth century. There was a Christian monk whose name was Evagrius Ponticus, and we see the beginning sort of a primitive version of the Enneagram that he devised. And then, of course, over the millennia, particularly with the advent of modern psychology in the last 150 years, all of that has gotten mushed together to create what now is known as the contemporary Enneagram. All right. And then what do you think about, you know, I've heard most people love the Enneagram. Every now and then I'll hear somebody who says something like, well, I don't like to be put in a box or I don't like to say, well, this is my number. So now this is how I act kind of a thing. What are your thoughts on the negative feedback sometimes people give about the Enneagram? Well, first of all, the Enneagram doesn't tell you or doesn't try to put you in a box. It actually tells you about the box you're already in and how to get out of it. Mm, that's good. And so it definitely is not a system that tries to slap a label on people and say, this is definitively and exhaustively uh, an exhaustive description of who you are. It's really trying to tell you, hey, whether you know it or not, this is the habitual, predictable patterns of personality that you see in your own life. And it tells you what's best about them and what's worst about them. Uh, who you are at your best and who you are when you are not at your best. So, which is, by the way, one of the reasons I like it compared to other typing systems like Myers-Briggs or DISC or Colby or Hogan or all the other different, you know, all of which I appreciate because I'm all for self-knowledge, but I prefer the Enneagram over those for that reason. Yeah. And it's so helpful. I know for me, my husband, to, to find out ours and, and understand each other's, it was extremely helpful. And it helps us to be able to even communicate with one another a little bit better. Is there a certain age, like I, we have three kids, is there a certain age that you can start to figure out what kids are? Or is there, do you recommend waiting till they're older? I, you know, I generally, and I've had sort of gone back and forth on this. I generally say wait until late adolescence or until the child has an interest of their own in discovering what their type is. The reason being that though the nuts and bolts and personality are typically in place at around ages five or six, 
they're wet cement. You know, it's just not, it's not all formed and hardened yet. Right. So, but by the time they're 18, 19, 17, you know, whatever, they're ready. They have enough self-awareness and self-knowledge that they can figure it out. So that's generally my sort of take on that, but it's in flux at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. What, are, what Enneagram number are you? I am a four. I am an individualist. Okay. Are you, do you have a wing or does everybody have a wing by the way? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep. Actually you have two wings. Okay. Uh, I could have a three. The wings are the two numbers adjacent to yours. Okay. You have both wings. You just tend to be dominant in one over the other. Okay. So you're a nine. You have, you're a nine with an eight wing, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a one wing. It, it just means it's not as dominant as that eight. Uh, I always tell people you, you'll rarely see a bird flying around with one wing. Mm, that's good. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then you kind of answered my next question. Cause I've heard people say things like I'm a nine wing three. And I'm thinking, how'd you jump from nine to three? You know, I mean, that's not possible, right? No, not possible. It okay. has to be one of the two numbers on either side of yours. Okay. That's okay. One, one of those is your dominant wing. Yeah. And then would you, is it true that if I'm a nine, I'm always a nine or can people ever change? Yeah. Once a nine, always a nine, at least to call it according to traditional Enneagram teaching. But you have to remember that the Enneagram is a very fluid dynamic system. Yeah. So though you will always be a nine, you may have such a heavy eight wing, let's say, for example, that it, it rivals your dominant type for, you know, your self-presentation. Uh, when you are under stress, right, you, you would start, you would always be a nine, but you could go to what's called the low side of six, the unhealthy six. If you're doing great, you'll go to the high side of three, mm -hmm. the healthy side of three. So again, you know, it's a very fluid system, which again, validates the instrument to me because the human personality is adaptive. Your personality right now is different than it will have to be at lunch when you meet with, let's say, meeting with a group of girlfriends. Your personality will be entirely different than, than what it is right now, to an extent, right? And as you know, as a grad student in an MFT program, you know that when you meet somebody whose personality is rigid and cannot adapt, you are probably dealing with somebody who has some kind of pathology happening somewhere in the operating system. Yeah. Okay. Now another question, and I'm using myself as an example, just so the listeners can kind of put themselves in my shoes as well. So I would say growing up, I was a very strong nine. I, I, I would argue I didn't have much wing weight eight at all happening in me. Like I was a, very much a traditional textbook nine, if you will. Yeah. yeah traditional and, peacemaker. Yes. Yes. And when my husband and I got married, he's, very strong eight. And so in the beginning years that we were both like really in that lane, but I feel like we've both rubbed off on each other a little bit. Like he has brought that eight out of me, if you will. I mean, is that, is that something that can actually happen or no? Like the longer, like he's helped me to learn how to assert myself or learn how to speak up, you know, or use my voice. Uh, is that, is there any truth in that, that our surroundings and our, our loved ones can bring out what was already in us, if that makes sense? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a four with a very, I'm, I'm a four with a very strong three wing. And when I lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is like the home of threes, it's like where threes were invented. 
I thought I was a very a three because, but but only because throughout my growing up years, I had to lean so hard into my three wing to fit in culturally. When I got to Nashville, uh, and I was working in songwriting and doing all the creative things that I always love to do, I, I really claimed my four because I didn't need that three wing as much, right? So. Definitely. Again, there's the fluidity. Uh, your eight was probably less dominant until you met, until you live with someone who was an eight and you were probably a very easy student to teach uh, because you had that eight wing available to you and it inflated as you spent time with your eight husband. Yeah. Yeah. And his wing is a, his stronger wing, I should say is a seven, but I feel like I have brought in a bit of that peacemaker, like he he's learned to pick his battles as an eight and, you know, kind of uh, different things like that. So it's just, it's just all super interesting to me. Okay. So I would love to move on though, to the mental health aspect with the Enneagram, because I haven't heard a whole lot of personally teachings on this. Um, and I love that you are leading the way on this topic. So how would you like to best approach how mental health comes into play when it comes to the different Enneagram numbers? Yeah, so mental health is a very big bucket term, right? Mm -hmm. It can cover everything from self-care to, you know, diagnosing legitimate mental illness, right? That's a huge bucket. I think that self-knowledge and self-awareness are really key predictors of success in life and key predictors of mental health. People who have self-knowledge and are operating in the world awake and aware of how their personality is affecting other people and how it's sabotaging them at times. And then they're able to make adjustments knowing through the lens of self-awareness, what they have to do in any given moment. It it has a tremendous impact. Otherwise, here's what happens. If you have no self-awareness, which is what the gift of the Enneagram is, uh, you're just running on autopilot. I mean, you're just, you're just making the same mistakes in relationships uh, and in your own life over and over and over again and not knowing why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll know what you do, but you won't know why you're doing it. And it'll, you just sort of live in this sort of perpetual state of being, you know, baffled. Like, why is it every time I go into a situation, let's say you're an eight, why is it every time I go into a situation or many times people say that I'm intimidating, domineering, combative, and I like conflict and, and that I'm angry. I don't feel like I'm angry at all. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you learn the Enneagram, you go, oh, oh my gosh, that's why people say it to me. Oh, and by the way, here's what I have to do to get along better with people. So to me, that's an indicator of mental health, self-awareness. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. So I would love then if we want to maybe go through each of the, and I have the nine listed here, if it, I am curious, and actually you, before we do this, you tell me if there's any truth or evidence to that certain numbers tend to, obviously we would never say always do, but tend to struggle with certain types of um, mental mental health. Would you see any correlation between certain numbers or no? Okay, this is a, you know, kind of debatable topic. Okay, this right? is Real Talk with Rachel, so you can... It, Put it all on the table. You can knock me off my high stool here and tell me whatever. Like, seriously, we want to shoot me straight. (laughs) Okay. Well, so here's the thing. Yeah. There are some people who would draw a line between super unhealthy versions of these types 
and different diagnoses in the mental health world. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's dangerous. First of all, I don't even like using labels in the mental health world. Yeah. Um, I think they're unhelpful. I think for the most part, talk about putting people in a box. Yeah. Uh, number three, I think it disempowers people when we say, oh, you're this or you're that, mm-hmm. you know, unless they have a biological condition that is clearly like schizophrenia. Yeah. You know, when, when you're talking about what we use, when I was trained in the medical model, you know, it would have been, okay, well, this person is a histrionic personality disorder, or this person is a narcissistic personality disorder. Um, these are very squishy terms and they're often used just because insurance companies need codes. And I, so I'm a little hesitant to say, oh, if you're a very unhealthy one, then you have obsessed, that would be in, in the mental health world, an obsessive compulsive personality disorder, not yeah. OCD, but personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can tell you what, what it is for each type, but, uh, and I'm happy to do it, but uh, I say it with the caveat that it's not a hard line drawn. It would be a dotted line. Yeah. You just blew my question out of the water in a good way. Like I love that answer so much because as somebody who's in grad school, I can just tell you, I'm personally really wrestling with that, the clinical side of things, of the label thing and the, you know, so I absolutely love your answer and I love, um, I just love that. So what would you say then we could address with the different types of things that might, I don't know, anything in the mental health realm that you want to go talk about with the, each of the different types that you feel like sure. would be healthy and helpful to people <laughs> and not putting people in boxes. <laughs> sure. So let me, why don't I do this? Uh, let me just run through them very, very quickly. Okay. I'll, uh, and what I'm going to do as I do it is tell you what the unconscious motivation is of each type. Okay. Because that's what really determines your type. Uh, in reality, everybody is all nine types. You contain all nine numbers. You're, you just happen to be dominant in one. You have one that is your default, right? Uh, and so the reason to know the unconscious motivation is if I just described the type traits, you would be completely confused. You'd be like, well, I do that. I do that. I do that. I do that. Well, of course you do. You're all nine numbers. What determines your type is the unconscious motivation. What is the driver behind your behavior? Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me run through them real fast. And, uh, you, you tell me if it's helpful. And if you want, I can go back and tell you what, from a mental health world perspective, the correlate might be to someone who was very unhealthy. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I love that we're going to do this and here's why, cause you hit on it a little bit ago, the self-awareness piece I have found in mental health and in therapy, self-awareness is like huge, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's so huge. And I don't, I think that people, don't quite get that. And so I personally think this right here alone, just talking about them and then talking about what you're about to share is huge. And I hope that the listeners can become more self-aware because I feel like the more self-aware I am of one, how I tick two, what my unconscious motivators are and things like that, then I can become more aware of different triggers and different, different things that might take me down a path I don't want to go versus a path I would love to go. So I love this. Sure. Yeah. All right. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So type ones are called the improvers. They used to be called the perfectionists, but I changed that because I thought it was a little too negative and not entirely accurate. They're ethical. They're meticulous. They're detail oriented. They're morally heroic principled people. 
And their unconscious motivation is a need to protect themselves, others, and the world. Mm. Twos are called the helpers. And they are warm, caring, and giving. Their unconscious motivation is a need to be needed and to avoid acknowledging that they themselves have personal needs. Uh, Threes are called the performers. They are success-oriented, image-conscious, wired for productivity. And their unconscious motivation is a need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. Fours are called the romantics. Uh, They're creative, sensitive, moody, disproportionately represented in the creative arts. They are unconsciously motivated by a need to be special and unique to compensate for what they perceive as a missing piece in their essential makeup. The five is called the investigator and they are analytical. They're detached. They're emotionally detached uh, and private. And their unconscious motivation is a need to gain knowledge, to conserve energy, and avoid relying on others. All right? So to be self-sufficient. Type sixes, the loyalists, are committed. They're practical, uh, earthy, and witty. They're the worst-case scenario thinkers of the Enneagram. Uh, Their unconscious motivation is driven by fear and the need for security, safety, and support. Uh, sevens are called the enthusiasts. These people are fun. They're spontaneous. They're adventurous. They love an escapade and they're motivated by a need to be happy and to have fun and plan stimulating future experiences to avoid emotional and psychological pain. Uh, eights are called the challengers, uh, commanding, intense, confrontational. They're motivated by a need to assert strength and power over the environment and others to mask tender and vulnerable feelings. And finally, nines, you, the peacemaker, pleasant, laid back, accommodating. Their unconscious motivation is a need to keep the peace, to merge with the preferences of others in order to avoid conflict at all costs. That was pretty good, wasn't it? It was really good. Fast. Yeah. Um, Okay. So if we were listening and, well, we were listening, hopefully if we're listening in, we're listening to this, we were paying attention as you were speaking and we heard some of those things. How can this help us then? What can we take? Like that's, it's one thing to have all the information and go, oh, okay, this is how I tick. This is my motivations, all this stuff. Then what can I do with this bit of information in order to better my life and better myself as a person? Right. Well, have you studied, have you studied Carl Jung yet? Yeah. Okay. So you know that Jung would say that there are hidden forces governing our lives from the shadows all the time. And that what's very important in the life journey is to bring uh, or raise into conscious awareness, some of those hidden forces, because the more you know about yourself, the better off you are. So we want to know what's in our shadow. We want to know what's uh, operating outside the fence line of our awareness so that we're not living like Pinocchio with some other forces, you know, pulling our strings, right? So that's one way, just one way that the Enneagram can help you. It's like going to tell you, here's the unconscious motivation that you did not know was operating in your, you know, in the background. And now that you know that you have more freedom 
to make different choices than you did before you knew what some of those drivers and motivations were. And so, as you implied, and I agree, information is not transformation. And one of the things that I love about the Enneagram is, is it actually offers a transformational path for each type. Like, what is the work you need to do in order to become a more integrated, self-aware human being? Yeah, that's so good. Information is not transformation. I had to repeat that and I wrote it down as you were talking. I'm like, that's really, really good. You know, um, one thing that I love is, and actually we're about to, I want to talk of in a minute, you're about to release a course called True You, right? Yep. Um, and I'm going to have you share a bit about that. But one thing that I love, and, and the listeners here, um, I'm a believer. Most of my, my listeners know that this is a faith-based podcast. And one thing I love is that God does not make mistakes. And I love that uh, the more we get to know our personalities and the different things that God's called us to, we see how, oh, wow, my, you know, my personality and my Enneagram and all these things, they are there for a purpose. And for years, I personally growing up, always hated that peacemaker in myself. I know that sounds weird, but it felt like a lame thing to be like, I'm just the pushover. I'm just the, I'm the quiet girl who doesn't have much to say. Like I always would see the, the women who were not afraid to get up and speak and would just always share their opinions and, you know, would just go for it. And I'd be like, oh, I really wish I could just be more like that, you know, and just kind of like not embracing myself. And the more I've learned about myself and my number and how I function, the more I love it because I see the value that somebody with my personality type brings to the table. And can you imagine if we had a table that was only eights, you know, or only ones? Like, I mean, it's a mess, right? And so I hope that the listeners here today can really just be encouraged that lean into your number. Like there's not one number. There's not one personality type. There's not one anything that's better than the other. They're just different (laughs) and they look so different. And so I would love um, to hear from you, first of all, about your course, but then also just about anything you've seen along the way of when people truly do just embrace who God made them to be, the transformation that happens not only in themselves, but then the lives around them because they're stepping up to the plate exactly how they were meant to be. Great. Yeah. Well, let's start with the course. I have a new course coming out in the next two weeks uh, and it's called true you a deeper exploration of your Enneagram type. What's unique about this course is for example, you as a nine could just check select. I mean the, the course on nines and you would get a 90 minute deeper teaching into your type that would include things like virtues and passions and subtypes and instincts and sort of deeper topics that I was not able to get to in my book, The Road Back to You. It's sort of next level, but you could still do it if you were new to the Enneagram, right? But it's real helpful for people who know their number and just are like, man, I want to know, I want to know more. I want to grow more. And I want to do it without having to do the work of all the other eight numbers. But for you, you have an eight husband. So you may decide to get the course on nines and on eights. Yeah. Uh, If you had children that, you know, you knew their numbers, you could decide to get four of them. So it's, it's lovely because you can cherry pick the types and you're getting 90 minutes of teaching a workbook, all that stuff that goes along with it. And people can find out about it. If they go to typologyinstitute.com, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y institute.com. They can just uh, sign up for the wait list. So they'll be the first to know when the course drops. Okay, great. Yeah. What's the second half of your question? 
well, and I think you you really answered it there. Basically, we all just need to buy your course when it releases because just just any um, anything you've seen, maybe personally or even in all the work you've done, you know, in therapy or just in in your life about how when people once they know their number and they lean into it instead of rejecting it, like I was just kind of saying myself, even when I first found out, oh, of course I'm the peacemaker. That's boring, you know, <laughs> like like there was just a part of me that kind of was like, oh, that seems like a lame number. But the more I've leaned into it, I see the strengths in it. And so I was just curious if you've seen that in real life. With I know you have, uh, but it, with other people when they just lean into who God made them to be. Yeah, as long as you don't make the Enneag- your Enneagram type, two things. You don't want to over-identify who you are with your Enneagram type. You don't want to put yourself in a box, right? Uh, you want to make sure that you remember that your personality is just a collective of adaptive stratagems and a little bit of hardwiring uh, that you created as a little person Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that your basic needs got met. Okay. So in your family, it's like, gee, everyone loves it when I'm the peacemaker. I'm a, I'm the low maintenance child. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until you're like, Oh, that's who I am. And just read the scriptures and you'll find out that's not who you are. Yeah. That's a, that's just a little piece of who you are. Yeah. You are not, you, you are not your personality. You have a personality but you are not your personality. That is not your identity. Those are two different things, identity and personality. Your identity is in Christ. That's a whole different creature than your personality. So now, does that mean you don't have a personality? No, of course you do. But what you wanna do is make sure you don't over-identify with it and that you are not using it as an excuse for poor behavior in your type. So you don't want to say, oh, of course, I don't express my opinions. I'm a peacemaker. So I just have to accept that and lean into it. So make sure that when you say lean into that, you're not saying resigning to. Yeah. Right. Leaning into means how can I become a healthier version? How can I become the healthiest expression of a nine that I can be? Because then I'm really a peacemaker in the world as part of God's plan to redeem it. Yeah. Oh, I love that you brought this topic up because actually the more I've explored the peacemaker, I've actually become more willing to speak up, which I know sounds strange, but it's made me analyze situations and go, well, am I being a peacemaker in this moment and not saying anything because it just really is a topic that doesn't matter to me? (laughs) You know, like I really don't care where we, you know, I'm not being a pushover. I just really have no opinion on this. Or do I, is God telling me, yeah, you need to speak up. And so I'm so glad you brought that up because I actually feel like I've become more, um, I don't want to, I guess, confrontational or willing to s- share my opinions when I've kind of learned the difference in, in what's happening with my personality. Right. And so that's called the power of self-observation. Yeah. In the moment, what you are doing is standing back, observing your habitual, predictable pattern of being a peacemaker and saying, hmm, Gosh, I know that this is predictably how I act in this moment. Do I want to continue colluding with that or do I want to make a different choice and assert myself? And if I was your therapist, I would probably tell you at every chance you get, assert yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because trust me, a nine is never going to over assert themselves. Yeah. So I would, I would just be like, 
whenever you get the chance, practice. Yeah. And you know, the other thing I love about it is that when I do assert myself, people listen because they're not used to it. It takes them back. They're like, wait, love it. Wait, you're speaking up. What? You have an opinion? Okay. Yeah. We're listening. So yeah, that's so cool. Okay. And I do want to repeat that statement you said there just a second ago, because it was so powerful and a great place to end. You are not your personality. You have a personality. Your identity is in Christ. That just, I feel like sums up everything that we talked about so well um for anybody listening who who says numbers what numbers like how i don't know my number where where do you recommend they start well they can read the road back to you my book which is an introduction to the enneagram which is a great place to start because many of the other books on the enneagram are four five six hundred pages they tend to be dense filled with i mean great for a clinician or somebody who really wants to become an expert on them But if you just want to learn the Enneagram and apply it to your life in a basic way, there's no other book on the market like ours. None. Secondly, if you went to my website, ianmorgancron.com, there's an Enneagram assessment called the IEQ-9. It is, in my opinion, and you know about psychometrics now because you're in grad school, you know that not all tests are created the same. Uh, A poorly constructed test is going to give you bad results more of the time than if you have a well-constructed test. And this particular test, I think, is the most reliable and has the highest validity rate in terms of the kinds of results that it offers people who take it. So, I, you know, you get a 22-page report customized to your answers. So it's a, a high-value assessment. Yeah, and, and that is on your website there? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I, I think I think one more way that you can learn a lot about different types and maybe what your type is, is to listen to my podcast, Typology. Uh, the reason I say that is, is that on the podcast, what I do is I interview people of different types. And when you hear them talk about their personal experience, it is far more powerful than when I just describe it to you right? You can hear their type in their voice, in their mannerisms. And so you can subscribe to my YouTube channel and watch it, which I encourage because sometimes just like, for example, I'm watching you right now. You have a lot of the mannerisms of a nine. Okay. Like your tone of voice, your demeanor feels nine-ish to me. And people can really start to see it. If you were a seven, you'd be far more animated usually. You, you would be a little bit more distractible. You would be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like your speech would be more pressured uh, than yours is. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. And you just start to go, oh, I'm starting not just to hear, but to see what these different types are like. But you can get it on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube, up to people w- where it is that they listen to podcasts. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. Yeah. So you have, that was the final question I was going to ask you is where can people connect with you? You've said your website, your podcast, typology, anywhere else that you like to hang out online that they can connect with you? Yeah. Across my socials, it's uh, Ian Morgan Cron, I-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N-C-R-O-N. Perfect. And all of these links will always be in the show notes for those of you who want to go back and and go connect with Ian and all of these wonderful resources. Well, Ian, thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. Um, I feel like I could have, I I can tell, I could have talked to you forever about this. Is there any final word that you'd like to just share with the listeners as we hop off here? Well, you know, I have this thing I sign off with when I do typology all the time and I love it. It's this quote by um, 
uh, Oscar Wilde, the great author who says, you know, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. I love that. And I, I just think that's the way to live your life. Yeah. I don't know if you can see behind me in my office. You probably can't. It says the world needs who you were created to be. So I love yes. that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And I cannot wait to release this episode to the listeners. Well, thank you for having me on, Rachel. Well, in that short 30 minutes, Ian dropped some golden nuggets that opened my eyes to how I'm made. And I really hope that you learned some things for yourself as well. Don't forget, you can go to typologyinstitute.com to find out more about his new course, True You. And hey, for fun, Ian is giving away a copy of The Road Back to You to some of my lucky listeners. And remember, to enter to win his books or any of my other guest books, all you have to do is be on a list and you don't get emailed a ton of times a month or anything like that. You only get an email if you win something. Um, You just go to, or you can text the phrase, Real Talk Giveaway, to the number 44222, um, or you can sign up directly on my website at rachelgilbert.com. All right, friends, that's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing those God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.